The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. March 19th, 2019, and you are tuned into HTM Sports here at twitch.tv backslash hitting the marks. Let the madness begin. I am not Jargo. That is the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to HTM Sports. Hashtag HTM Sports. As you said, Jargo, let the madness begin. But before we get to the madness, we got to get through the drama. Yeah, man, there's a lot going on in the world of sports. We will have your full bracketology breakdown here. We're going to try to keep this at a half-hour show today, but I got a feeling me and Huckleberry could probably do a full, like, hitting the marks three-hour marathon on this thing. Let's start off, though, with Mike Trout. Mike Trout, the big breaking news of the day. He has signed an extension with the Angels of Anaheim. That's right. I refuse to call them Los Angeles. 12 years, 430 million dollars now huckleberry there's a lot of people losing their minds about this deal and you know what i like this deal a whole lot more than i like the bryce harper deal well as you say i think just when we see the financials you see that figure it's so astronomical you know people just tend to freak out they really cannot wrap their minds around you know how how is anyone especially a professional athlete now how are they pulling down this kind of scratch but, but yeah this i mean this is the biggest of all time and in comparison to you know the top four here in North America, I mean, you're you're looking at in the NBA Russell Westbrook 207 mil, uh, Matt Ryan 150 mil, uh, over in uh, the NHL. Uh, man, this is one of those New Japan names I don't even want to try, but Ovechkin in uh, 124 mil. Ovechkin. Uh, Ovechkin. I was close. I was close. I was close there. Uh, I, I still got a couple weeks for I got to pay attention to the NHL. Yeah, we got to get you going on the Russian thing now. Yeah, so so we've, we've got that there. So, I mean, but look at this number here. I mean, it's so hard to kind of just wrap your mind around that. And I, that, that's that's causing a lot of people to freak out. But you got to remember, we are we're talking about argu- arguably uh, the best player going today. You know, seven time All Star, two time MVP. Brings it every dynamic of the game, but you know it goes so much deeper than, and than just what he is producing on the field. I mean, he is now uh, the face of an organization that is essentially in, in the fight of their life each and every time out in in such a huge market, and they're just trying to thrive there. You know, and just that aspect of what he represents, what he's going to carry there for the Angels, but then also what it means. You know, that kind of investment. 
for for the market of Los Angeles and the surrounding areas of Anaheim and their entire fan base. I think the one thing that really gets lost when you talk about the Angels of Anaheim is just the simple fact that they're in the Los Angeles market and they're pretty much the bottom of the Los Angeles market. Los Angeles is always going to be a Lakers town. It's always going to be a Dodgers town. And then, of course, now we have the Rams, we have the Chargers, we have the Clippers, um, we still have NHL there. You have the Kings. Yeah, you have the Kings. I mean, and and the Angels are at the bottom of that barrel. Now they have the best player in baseball who's going to be playing in center field for them for the next 12 years. This literally puts asses in seats. They could not afford to lose Mike Trout. And when you're talking about them, you know, where they kind of line up in that marketplace, let's not forget, you know, how you're kind of putting over there. You don't even want to refer to them as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, you know, because that was all marketing ploy. You know, they, they, they kind of were absorbed. They're kind of like that, uh, that, that weird stepkid that got brought in, you know, not really part of the family, but they're trying to make, make their way. They want everyone to love them just as equally. So and this is a major play. You know, this lets them know, hey, we're, we're invested here. Our, this community, this fan base is firmly behind him. So we're going to invest in, you know, our franchise, our franchise player. And the way this is shaping up, I know this is a huge number, but it looks like doing a little bit of research here because this is such breaking news before we sat down to record, they're still going to have some room to play. So they're still going to be competitors. This is not going to weigh them down like we see some of these other big contracts. And, of course, also keep in mind when it comes to Major League Baseball, yeah, there is a luxury tax, but you can easily go over that, especially if you're in a market like Los Angeles. This is why the Yankees have done it so long and just paid obnoxious amounts of money. I guess my question to you, Rick, is how do you suppose Bryce Harper is feeling today? He was the highest paid player in baseball for all of about two weeks. And that really meant a lot to him. Like he, they were him and his agent, Scott Boris, were out to make him the highest paid player in all of baseball. And he signed a 10 year deal. He's got to be pissed about this. Now, I don't see this is the name of the game. And it's all about one upsmanship here. You know, as soon and what this really is, I, I don't even I'm not so worried about Bryce Harper. But we were talking about his deal. We're talking about what does this do to the marketplace? No, what is that next move going to be? And now we see that next move uh, again, you know, and that is where we start getting to these figures. I mean, what is going to be the cap? Where is your return on investment? I, I know how important that is. I'll continue to put that, you know, how important it is to any community. You know, the impact that you have by, by having not just professional sports, but, you know, those marquee players, the faces of the league, those true franchise players, if you will. I mean, hell, for, for many, many years, you go right down the road here to Cleveland, Ohio, LeBron James was this economy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, and, and you know, when he took off to Miami that first time, I mean, it was devastating Crashed. here. Absolutely. Devastating to this economy. I mean, it shut down their whole bar district, their entertainment avenues, things like that. So you get this trickle-down effect. So, you know, to maintain your franchise as a major player in whatever league it might be is of the utmost importance. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to Mike Trout, former Cedar Rapids Colonel. That's right. He played right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's where he played his single A ball. Uh, hold on. Is that a, a Colonel like like Colonel Sanders, like making some good chicken or a Colonel of Corn? It's a Colonel of Corn, man. It's Iowa. Of course. Our logo is named Mr. Shucks, as in shucking corn. It's the stupidest thing, man. I cannot support that team just because of the stupid ass nickname. 
Beautiful stadium. Mr. Shucks. I like that. Can we get him on the show sometime? Yeah. Can we reach out to them and see if we get Shucks? Absolutely. We'll see what we can do. Um, you know, I was a mascot for a year. I actually did do that. Minor League Baseball. I was a mascot. I was Louie the Lumber King for one year in Clinton, Iowa. True story. Horrible job. Um, and people want to know your background in entertainment while we're qualified to talk about this. That's there right. you go. I started in freaking high school, ladies and gentlemen. Let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit of the NFL and and more specifically just this crazy story that is coming out of Pittsburgh. I'm going to stick up for Pittsburgh here in a second, but first we've got to tear them down because that's what we do in the United States. Ben Roethlisberger, Rick, I, this might be. The biggest accusation that I have heard thrown around the NFL since Deflategate, former Steelers running back Josh Harris accuses Ben Roethlisberger of fumbling on purpose just despite former offensive coordinator Todd Haley. Now, this was a couple of years ago. I went back and I watched the video footage. It's really hard to dispute that this was an intentional fumble, man. Like, this is some pretty big stuff breaking in the NFL right now. Well, see, I went back and checked this thing out. You know, we're talking late season, week 17, divisions on the line. A minute you're playing, left, you're up by 10. You have the ball. The, the Cincinnati Bengals. I actually remembered this game here. Uh, hey, very easily, you never know what could happen in the NFL. I mean, just like that, you can you can lose a 10-point lead. To even gamble something, to take that risk, you know, my first my first read this, I was like, man, and that is, it's very ballsy to make a statement like that. And it's very damaging to the party that it's directed towards, especially if it can be proven to be true. And going and watching this film, it's kind of hard to dispute that. And when you really look at Big Ben and you know the overall bubble that, that has been his career, even back in college, it, it really is. It's a story of, of privilege and immaturity. So the story, and it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that he would do something like this. The story as I have heard it. All right. This is the full on situation. All right. You have Ben Roethlisberger. You have Todd Haley, the then offensive coordinator. The Steelers are up by 10 points with about a minute left to go. The play call comes in from the sidelines from Todd Haley and he calls a running play and Roethlisberger rolls his eyes inside of the huddle and then they, they, they go out and he fumbles the ball because Ben wanted to just take a knee and run out the clock. Rick, why wouldn't he just take a knee then? That's my question. Why not just do what you want to do? You are in complete control of the football. Why not just take a knee and then you and Todd Haley can yell about it later? Why risk it with a fumble? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, I think what they, what the kind of the point of, of this even statement that's, that's being put out there is the immaturity of Ben and the disdain towards the coordinator at the time was everyone knew what the call was. That's going to the coach. It's not just like it's between him and Ben and it's conversations going on there. So with the fumble happening, they lose that ball. That goes on the offensive coordinator. He yeah, takes a knee true. on his own. None of us know the difference. That's true. That's that, there's no point. heat. There's no heat on Haley from that point. Now something would happen there or even just that scare. Why, why are we – we're up by 10 – Division on the line, just a minute and a half away from going to the playoffs, winning the division here, and you're running the ball? Look what just happened. We could have lost the ball. That's what he was trying. That was the message he was trying to send. Now, you know, and internally, if they lose the ball there, Ben's got more of an argument. I, I said take a knee, but I had to listen to my coordinator. You, you're trusting in this guy, but you are but you got me for the long haul and you're paying me more. That's the immaturity that we're seeing from Ben Roethlisberger. 
And which I think is even more telling, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they've always been a little, all their success, they have been a, a house of disorder. So many different characters and, and people with their own agendas. Very but passive always, aggressive. But it's always kind of worked because they each could have a slice of the pie and, and kind of take, you know, take the spotlight or the blame, if you will, at certain points. But now all those pieces, well, almost all those pieces are gone except for two. And now we're going to be focusing squarely on the leadership of Big Ben and how he interacts now when it is firmly placed on him and his head coach, Tom. We'll, uh, we'll come back to Big Ben here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but first we have to talk about the Cleveland Browns. That's right, because the Cleveland Browns are really the talk of the NFL. Shortly after we recorded last week, Huckleberry, we got the big news. Odell Beckham Jr. had been traded to the Cleveland Browns, and now everybody is losing their freaking minds, including Las Vegas, who doesn't normally lose their minds. But I read this report, and Rick, I can't believe it. I don't believe it, honestly. The Cleveland Browns are now favored to win the AFC North. Do you buy the Cleveland Browns at this point? Well, it's not so much that you got to buy into the Browns. you got to look at this division as a whole. It's an absolute train wreck. So right now, around the league, as you said, you know, the, the hot pick, the, the sexy pick right now is the Cleveland Browns. Essentially, they are... Uh, you know, that, that pimple faced, thick glasses, no one paid attention to her nerd who went out, got a dye job, got some clear cell, got some new gimmicks. And now she's catching the, catching the eye of all the guys, uh, in the room. That's the Cleveland Browns. They've got some great new toys. They've got a, a lot of promise offensively, especially in the, in the specialty positions. They look amazing. They've got some questions on defense, but hey, in this era right now, let's really look at what it takes to succeed for, especially the marathon that is the regular season. The defense is bend, 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 just don't break. You need consistent uh, special teams play, especially in the kicking spot. Make your extra points, and you need a high-power offense. And it looks like they have assembled that kind of team right now. Still young. you got some new components in there, fresh coaching staff. It's going to take some time to gel. But in the AFC North, you've got Pittsburgh, who has been dismantled. See, that's where I disagree. But go ahead, I, continue. I, I, well, I, I think they have. And as I went back and, you know, a, a lot of the inmates that were there helping that run that asylum, those crazy characters, they're gone. I think we're going to have a lot more problem, a lot more focus on the drama around that team now with that we've just got with Rolfsburger and, and Tomlin. I don't think they're as strong, but I still think they are competitive in that division. I think they'll give the Browns a fight. I don't really trust, and I don't think a lot of the experts out there really trust Baltimore's offense. And they have, and talk about dismantling, they have dismantled that defense. Yeah, they have. And then you head to Cincinnati, and it again, it is turned once again back into a circus. It's a dumpster uh, fire. Nobody's wanted jobs here. We don't really know who's in charge in Cincinnati. They're, they're releasing some, you know, that staples that were around and they're trying to really change the dynamic and the perception around that team. So it's going to be a couple of years and it's a lot of people just don't even have faith in that organization. So I don't think it's so much the Browns have improved. Well, they have improved themselves. I mean, you have to improve yourself. You've only won, you know, coming into this past year, three games in what, two games in three years. I mean, there's only, you can only go up, but when you're on the rise, it helps when the rest of the division is free falling without a parachute. 
See, now when I look at Pittsburgh, I see a very, very different team than you do. I have four boxes that I always look for when it comes to football teams and whether or not I consider them a contender. Number one, I look at your ownership. Number two, I look at your quarterback. Number three, I look at your head coach. And number four, I look at your offensive line. When I look at Cleveland, they don't check most of those boxes. When I look at Pittsburgh... The Rooney family still owns that team. Mike Conlon is still the head coach. Ben Roethlisberger is still the quarterback, and that offensive line is still intact. What has Cleveland done to reinforce that offensive line for Baker this offseason? Yeah, they got him a lot of nice toys, but how's that offensive line going to be? They got him They got him a lot, a lot more speed on that line, so they can move a little quicker for him. He's not going to need as much time with all the weapons. He's going to have so many weapons at his disposal, it's going to be hard to target one certain area. So that's going to give a little relax on that line, take some pressure off of them. So, and, and I know they don't really have the standout names there, but they are still very strong offensive line all around. This is a tremendous offensive unit. As, but the emphasis, as always, is going to be on the specialty players. And I'll tell you one thing that it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise here is the suspension to hunt who is going to be a backup to, to Chubbs in the backfield. Eight weeks, not involved with the team. You know what I see in week eight when he – or you know, week nine when he returns, what we're going to have there is fresh legs. When the rest of the league is getting very tired and, and trying to conserve themselves for that playoff run, we're bringing in a Pro Bowl caliber backup with fresh legs. And I think that's going to add a nice extra, you know, ump. It's going to be that, that spice that makes life extra night for the Cleveland Browns on the back end of the season. I know there's questions with their ownership. You know, they've, they've never really committed. They just can't get anything right. That one, it, that one hurts. Go back to quarterback. You said that that's a, a, a tremendous quarterback. He's the hottest young hand in the game right now. Uh, at coach, I still think they're fine there. I think you know See, we're going to move I, forward. I, I don't trust anybody that's only been a coordinator for one year getting a head coaching gig. Uh, okay. Especially with those egos in that locker room. So you've got questions, but there's not unproven things here. Uh, oh, yeah. On the flip side here, with, but they're not unproven. So they can move forward. And that's where the excitement is. They're going they the right way. Here. That's for sure. If, if they can click here. Or, or a few of your things. I, I still like Pittsburgh's offensive line. I don't know how much they believe in Ben. That's, that's the thing. With all of this information coming out, I don't know how much, how that locker room is going to feel about Ben Roethlisberger at this point. But we I don't... also know how Tom Brady plays with a chip on his shoulder and Big Ben strikes me very much the same way. If he's got a chip on his shoulder, feels he's got something to prove this year, especially with AB gone and, you know, that other locker room cancer that they sent off to the Jets. That's right. He who shall not be named, Le'Veon Bell. I, I think you're going to get a big year out of Cheeseburger. I mean, Roethlisberger. I think I think it's almost embarrassing that you would compare the two. I don't think Tom Brady is – he is light years ahead. Roethlisberger is nowhere in his class. Brady is a professional. Oh, no, sense. I'm just saying and in I their demeanor, be, no, not in their it, playing ability. No, it's, no, no, no. I think in the demeanor. Roethlisberger is so immature. I think he's going to buckle under this pressure, and you're going to see uh, an absolute implosion here. And they're going to have to part ways with – I think at the end of this year, you're going to part ways with one. You're going to go with Tomlin. You're going to go with Rossberger. And Big Ben only has one more year left on that deal. And I think they got Tomlin in for a couple more years, like 2021, 22, something like that. It'll be very interesting to see where that franchise goes once Ben Roethlisberger walks away. Let's talk about Russell Westbrook. 
Russell Westbrook got himself in trouble again, Huckleberry. And more importantly, I mean, yeah, there's his 16th technical foul and his attitude problem and him getting suspended and them losing to Miami. But this one's got to hurt. Every once in a while, you know, the NBA is an 82-game season. But you get to about this time of year and you start looking at the schedule and you circle certain games. And I saw Golden State at Oklahoma City. And then I find out Kevin Durant's not even playing. I expect a big win for OKC, right? Nope. Golden State goes in there and spanks them 110 to 88. Russell Westbrook completely loses his mind, completely flips his shit. He only scores seven points. He's frustrated. He's pissed off. This team doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell come the playoffs. Hey, this this is another case. You, you can go out there and run up all the stats, all the numbers you want. Uh, the only thing we're seeing, we're, we want to talk about immature. That's what we're seeing here. And, and he's ultimately proving himself to be a pretender to the throne. And I mentioned him as the highest paid player in the league. That's an absolute joke in itself right there. They're not going to ever win anything here. There's a reason that they're not got the hell out of Dodge. Plus minus he's, he's, negative 18. He is not – he is a tremendous player. And in the current uh, the current style of play in the NBA, yeah, he is going to rack up all these incredible numbers for you. But what is enough enough? Uh, he's never going to get you back over. So that's fine. You know, if you're happy with going in and thinking every year you're going to have a two or a three seed, uh, and, then, and then you're going to be – you know, maybe every five years you get to the conference final or something like that, that's great for you. Perfect. Which, but more than not, you're going to head to the playoffs, which everyone does in the NBA, and then the pressure is going to set in. These teams that are that have actual stars that have been there that are mature enough to handle it, are, they're going to buck you from the playoffs, and that's and that's what happens in OKC. Steph Curry goes into OKC, drops 33 on them. Clay Thompson contributes 23. Quinn Cook, yeah, he's Steph Curry's backup. He scored more freaking points than Russell Westbrook did in this game. Quinn Cook with eight points. Really like Quinn Cook as a ball player. And they didn't even have Kevin Durant. You add Kevin Durant into this thing, they'd sweep freaking OKC. It's going to be embarrassing. Let's talk about the, the brackets, Huckleberry. That's really what we're here for today. We've got about, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 minutes left of the show now. Um... I don't know how necessarily you want to approach this. You just want to take them um, east, west, midwest, south? Well, you know, I, I I want to jump in with something. You know, let's – before we dive into, you know, the beat of this thing, you know, we were talking about the financial impact and just the overall impact that, you know, a certain – a sports team or a brand or a player can have on a community. I want to give a little bit of love to the games that we're going to see start tonight and tomorrow, the first four. You know, everyone kind of overlooks that. They, they look to Thursday as that opening round when the madness really begins. Uh, but here in Ohio, very important for the economy, uh, the little town of Dayton, Ohio, they have been hosting the, these play-ins or first four since they came into existence, back when it was just one game, way, way back in the day. Uh, before it expanded to this two-day thing, me and a bunch of buddies, we used to go every year. And it just wasn't us. It was our dads, our uncles. It was a great trip. We got there. There were cheap tickets. We got to experience the tournament. It was a little road trip for us. We had a routine for dinner and drinks and so-and-so. But then they expanded it to the four games, two days. You had to buy the package. It got a little ridiculous, so we opted out. But, you know, just to let you know, like, what it means, just coming in here for two days, four – yeah, we got four games, eight teams here. 
many of which don't really have any significance. You know, you hope maybe they could go on and win a, a game in the next round, except for the, you know those playing into the middle of the bracket. But this is going to mean it's $4.5 million just for the little city of Dayton wow. in two days. Wow. And that's, that's, that's how important that sports is to a community. You know, and that's going to let them invest in other attractions to come back. And it, Dayton is a, it's a nice little town. Uh, it's a cozy arena. It's right there next to the campus. Beautiful campus. Best, best subs in the world. Milano's. That Atlantic City. Unbelievable. Uh, the only, my only problem with Dayton is there's no exit. You can't get the hell out of there. I've, I've never been to Dayton, but uh, they do have a team that's in the Midwest League. Their Class A affiliate there plays in Dayton. It's uh, the same league that Cedar Rapids is in. The Dragons. Yep. Uh, beautiful ballpark, uh, fifth third ballpark. Hey, they, they, I mean, they great sports fans there. They sold out there, that AAA stadium. I want to say it was like five seasons in a row they had sellouts for every game. Nice. So it's a nice area. So a little bit of love for the first floor, for the first four, but let's talk about what everybody came here for. Let's talk about the big bracket and who's going to move on, who's going to win this thing. It, I guess you want to start with maybe any surprises in seating. Well, I guess number one, let's let's kind of run through the eastern bracket. All right, here here's the east one through sixteen. I've got Duke, Michigan State, LSU, Virginia Tech, Mississippi State, Maryland, Louisville, VCU, UCF, Minnesota, Belmont, and Temple. One of those play-in games. That one's going down tonight at nine p.m. on True TV. Liberty, St. Louis, Yale, Bradley, and then tomorrow on True TV at five forty p.m. We have North Dakota State and North Carolina. Central. Now, Rick, it, we would be here all day if we talk about all of these teams. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit to the more like Sweet 16 round. What teams do you see actually standing a chance to come out of this thing out of the East? And do you see any big upsets in the East? Well, I guess, you know, one thing I got to look at who, here, because we're going to talk about this bracket here in just a moment, uh, is Michigan State at a number two. If we're looking at the, the top one seeds and the top two seeds, and essentially that makes the top eight for this entire bracket. And, and you would think logically how you break that down. Duke, we know, is the number one overall. So the number two in theirs would be the eight, which is the, the worst of the twos. To put Michigan State in this bracket is a travesty. It's almost criminal. Yeah. We're talking about a team, especially that you're going to put Michigan in Gonzaga's region, that indicates to us that they believe Michigan was the top number two seed just outside of being a number one. I mean, that Michigan State beat them twice in the regular season, beat them in the conference tournament, and in route to doing so, won a share of the conference regular season and won the conference tournament. Total disrespect here to Michigan State. I think they totally got railroaded. And on the flip side, Michigan does not deserve to be where they're at. If I got to rank all these teams one through eight, I got to put Michigan and Gonzaga at seven and eight, the two worst of our top eight teams. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. Um, I feel like Duke, I'm obviously, I'm going to take Duke to win this entire tournament. I, I think they're clearly the best team in the tournament. Can they get got? Absolutely. But I think they are by far the best team in this tournament. But as I look at this thing, Rick, Duke is going to have to go through the state of Michigan in order to win the damn thing. I've got Duke and Michigan State playing to go to the Final Four. As I look at the rest of this bracket, I don't feel like it's that strong, but I feel like it's full of potential upsets. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I'm with you. We know we're going to get to the final four and to the finals. I am uh, literally and figuratively drinking the Kool-Aid here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm heavy on the ACC, and we'll talk about that there. But as you say, you know, we've seen Duke can get got. They've got got when they have Zion. It has happened. You can there is a method to to take them down. You, you got to play your your best absolute game and get a little lucky, but it can happen. And if there's anyone in this bracket that has any kind of shot at doing that, it's going to be Michigan State. As you said, just looking at the rest of, I think we'll see some good games in this, but no one that really is the caliber that it's going to topple Michigan State. You know, Michigan State or Duke. Uh, one interesting, I, I guess possibly. Minnesota, who has seen Michigan State, if at the 10, if they can get past uh, Louisville there, you know, maybe they have it. Or, you know, Louisville's got the history. You know, they do, they are rich at tournament time. They're back here, baby. They, they want to make a statement. I just really just don't think they got the power. Sweet 16, I have going scratch one through four Duke, Michigan State, Virginia Tech, and LSU. Um, I do have a couple of upsets inside of this Eastern bracket, though. I'm taking Liberty over Mississippi State. That's a 12 versus a 5. And then I didn't take them, Rick, but I was damn close, and I could easily be talked into it. The game that I am watching in the first round coming out of the East is Yale and LSU. I think Yale stands a real chance of getting LSU. I I don't know. You know, LSU looks so dejected in that loss in the SEC tournament uh, to go in there as a number one, especially with, you know, how, you know, how favorable the SEC is viewed to have that honor to have earned it. Be sitting there and then just suffer an upset like that. The hands on Florida, correct? It got them. Yep. Uh, I think they're going to come in with a little bit of chip on their shoulder and they're hearing all these people chirping about how Yale could get them. I like Yale. It's going to be a good matchup. I think LSU is going to have, is going to have that chip on their shoulder. And I think, I think the three is going to emerge here. So let's go ahead. Let's uh, kind of jump over to the West here. Um, pull up my other set of notes. In the West, 1 through 16, you have Gonzaga, Michigan, Texas Tech, Florida State, Marquette, Buffalo, Nevada, Syracuse, Baylor, Florida, Arizona State plays St. John's tonight at 9 p.m. on True TV. You also have Murray State, Vermont, North Kentucky, Montana, and then Fairleigh Dixon versus Prairie View A&M today at 640. Rick, what do you think of uh, this side of the bracket? Uh, you know, hands down, every year you have to have one. There's a weak region. This is it. As I said, I don't really have any, I don't have, I don't have a whole lot of respect. I'll, I'll use a word like respect. I don't have any respect for Gonzaga or Michigan where they are put at in this thing. As I said, if we take the top eight, I got them at seven and eight. What I really like here, and this is what kind of lends towards my all ACC final four, watch out for Florida State. The, the big lineup for the Seminoles can cause some damage out here. Uh, they're coming in kind of hot. They know what it takes to, to play against the best teams in the country. I mean, there's, think about this. They've had six plus games against three number one seeds already this year. Yeah. They know what it takes to be in those big games and those big moments. I, I really like Florida State in this bracket. I do like Florida State in this bracket. I could easily be talked into Florida State winning this bracket and ending up with four ACC teams inside of the Final Four. I could easily 
be talked into it. I did take Michigan to come out of this bracket. I think Michigan might be able to run up and down the floor on Florida State, especially if that big dude who's seven foot four gets in foul trouble like he did against Duke the other day. Do have a couple of upsets inside of this one as well. I'm taking Buffalo, man. I'm taking Buffalo to not only win their first round, I'm taking them to take out Texas Tech before they finally fall to Michigan. I really think Buffalo's got a good team. Really rooting for, there's two in here. I'll I'll tell you the one that's in my heart that that I'll be rooting for, and that is the the team Northern Kentucky. Uh, Just, it it hasn't been that long. This is, I I believe, this is the first year they're eligible for the tournament, last year or this year. I mean, they just made the move from Division II. An amazing program, what they're doing down there in Northern Kentucky. Such a beautiful campus. Uh, they've actually, the arena they put together down there, they are, st- they have stolen so many marquee events away from Cincinnati because of how much they've invested down there on that campus. But even more so than what, you know, what they've done there, they've invested in this program. Be tremendous to see them get, to get a big win, a huge upset here. But I'll tell you who I really like out of this one is Nevada. Oh. Really like Nevada at the seven. And just, you know, one of those crazy stats out there that people need to remember for the last six years. A seven or higher has made it to the final four. Interesting. I actually picked Florida to upset Nevada in the first round. Um, and then I have a couple more that's like I have Baylor over Syracuse, but that's a nine versus eight. Not really sure that you consider that much of an upset. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much that bracket. Like you said, that's I feel like that's by far the weakest of the regions. Without a doubt. All right, let's go ahead and jump over to the south. Man, when you talk about a murderer's row, the South is uh, pretty loaded. Virginia, Tennessee, Purdue, Kansas State, Wisconsin, Villanova, Cincinnati, Mississippi, Oklahoma, my Iowa Hawkeyes, St. Mary's, Oregon, UC Irvine, Old Dominion, Colgate, and then Eric Lake's pick to win the whole damn thing, Gardner-Webb. Uh, I, I, I feel like the South is probably the most loaded region and the most potential for upsets throughout this tournament. Well, you know, the way this thing's lined up, I, I really, even with the disparity between the seating, I don't really know if there's such like over, overwhelming upsets. This is, this is a region that is very tough. It's very talented, but I think more so what's going to make it interesting basketball in must, in must see television is that all of these teams have something to prove. They're very hungry to make a point in this tournament. I think the best matchup of this bracket, round one, it's going to be uh, Huckleberry versus Jargo. Cincinnati and Iowa, 7 against 10. I've got Iowa winning it. I assume you've got Cincinnati winning it. Tell me about your Bearcats. How, how far do you think they can go in this tournament? Well, I'll tell you what. Right when I saw, when I saw this draw, I saw this is when they were seated. It was one of those, you know, WTF moments. You know, I, I, my head wanted to explode. I wanted to throw something across the room. But then I took a breath and realized that this Bearcat team has been disrespected this entire season. Yeah, and, and sure, maybe they, they don't have the, the quality of wins, but they've got a lot of them. They haven't lost very many. Uh, that big boulder on their back, Houston. Who, who was on fire this season, got them twice. They, they got that boulder off their back, beating them in the AAC championship. They, so they are the tournament champions there. I, I would I thought they were going to be a five or a six. Sitting here at the seven, a very tough Iowa. You, you advance there. You're expecting that they're going to get a very hungry Tennessee. They've got a tough road ahead of them. 
But I wouldn't be surprised to see the Bearcats shock the world here and head to the 16th. I, funny enough, I have Iowa beating Tennessee to go to the round of 16. I, it sounds like both of us are kind of out on Tennessee after what we've seen them do over the course of the last month or so. And it's not so much that I'm down on. Like I said, this is just a hungry bracket. I'll say, hey, here's something else to keep an eye on. Virginia, the number two, overall number one, representing this region. They had history made against them last year when they were embarrassed yeah. and defeated by a 16. Don't think that's not the back of their mind, and everyone's going to be kind of looking at that. Uh, it's either going to be a hey, either buckle or or whoever's going to get crushed. I'm taking Virginia to come out of this bracket. I think Virginia comes into this thing just full of piss and vinegar. Uh, but I do have some other interesting matchups. As I said, I have Iowa going to the Sweet 16. Um, I do have Villanova defeating Purdue. I think Ver uh, Purdue is not as good as people think they are. I think Villanova matches up with Iowa in the round of 16. Villanova wins that, and you end up with Virginia versus Villanova to go to the final four. That's kind of how I see this bracket shaking out. Um, but the game that I really have circled, the one that I really want to see is Wisconsin and Kansas state. I think that's a really good, matchup. A, a really interesting matchup. And, but you know, with Wisconsin, I really wouldn't dismiss Oregon right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Oregon's kind of on fire. Uh, let's jump over to the Midwest. And uh, I, I, I should have went, I should have went. There's a couple of these games going down in Des Moines, and I thought about it, and I should have went. Here's the Midwest, 1 through 16. North Carolina, Kentucky, Houston, Kansas, Auburn, Iowa State, Wofford, Utah State, Washington, Seton Hall, Ohio State, New Mexico State, Northeastern, Georgia State, Abel Christian, and Iona. Uh, the top half of this bracket is really, really good. The bottom half of this bracket, not so good. Yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of seems, you know, getting to that sweet 16 seems like a pretty easy, uh, stroll in the park for Kentucky. Yep. I, I, I agree. And then when they make it to the sweet 16, I have Iowa State taking them out. I really believe in Iowa State. I think they've got a really good team. I think UNC gets them to go to the Final Four. Don't get me wrong. Let's not get carried away. I, I'm not that far on the Cyclone bandwagon. But I don't think Kentucky can win six straight games. I don't think that they're at that level of a team. Well, they wouldn't have won six straight games. Oh, to, to get to where? To get to no, where? To, to win the tournament. Oh, okay. I thought you because you already have them going out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they can win six straight to yeah. win the tournament. I, I think Iowa State gets them in the round of 16. Yeah, there, you know, there was about a 10-day period earlier this year that when they were firing all cylinders. And at, at that time, and you have to take into comparison how everyone else was playing, uh, they looked hands down. They were the best team in the country. Uh, they're far from that right now. And this is not one of those just powerhouse young teams that we're used to at Kentucky that can turn it on for these stretches like this. I think they could come out in these first two rounds and look unbelievable, get people really believing the hype. I think they get to the eight, but it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a close game. And I just don't think that they have the experience, the manpower, just the talent to beat a UNC. I think everybody has to have UNC versus Kansas circled, right? Like, that's the game that everybody really wants to see coming out of this side of the bracket. You get into that 16 and you get into the 8, and there's some real – and I guess it's, you know, the way they laid this out, if maybe they take this 
into consideration. It seems this year it was maybe a little more into consideration to get some of these traditional powerhouses that are going to produce some some stellar ratings for them. I do like Seton Hall. I have Seton Hall going over Warford. And I feel like if there's going to be a Cinderella team, and when I think of a Cinderella team, I think of an eight or lower that's going to make any kind of a run. Seton Hall is the team that I have circled. Like I said, you know, it's it's been all these years where we see a seven or higher get to the final four. So it has happened. I just think, you know, right now the way with, with these kind of super teams, the ones that are at the top, I just think there's such a gap this year between the true elites, the alphas, and really the rest of the field. Really, the but ACC speak- versus the rest of the field. That's where all your alphas are. They're all in the ACC. You know, as I said, I haven't filled mine out. I haven't set it in stone yet. I'm probably going to sit down this evening and do that. But as I sit here, every time I glance at it, it it's kind of hard. I have this feeling I'm going to end up with a, an all-ACC Final Four. But as we're talking about their super teams, hey, sit back and enjoy it. This might be the last time we see this because it looks like the NBA is going back to where you can enter the league at 17. And I hate everything about that. So my Final Four, as things shake out, I have Duke, Michigan, Virginia, and North Carolina – My national championship game is Duke versus Carolina. And of course I have the Blue Devils winning 85-73. Well, you you and the great great Duke alum, Jay Billis, are a little different on that. Mr. Billis has Carolina. Can you believe that? Stand with us in the back there. He's he's going with Carolina to, to take the championship game over Duke. But I'm with you. I stand with you. No matter how I got the rest of this thing laid out, Duke is marching all the way to the finals and will be cutting down the nets come April 8th. Is Carolina the team that you think that we're going to have to go through to win that championship? As I said, I haven't said anything in stone yet, but as I'm glancing, uh, I, I truly do. I, you're, you're looking between these two teams, you have seven or eight NBA players. That's basically the top 10 of your NBA draft. That, that That's pretty much how I feel about it. And you know who I... The the thing that drives me absolutely insane is I'm hearing all this talk about Zion and the NBA draft and should he play, shouldn't he play. It doesn't matter. That team runs through Trey Jones. Trey Jones is the best player on that team. If you told me I could have one player from Duke right now, Trey Jones is the guy I'm taking. I think Trey Jones is one of the smartest point guards I've seen in a long freaking time. I, I, I think I can find someone more capable to fill Trey Jones' shoes. I can't find another Zion. Mm, it'll be interesting. He's 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 going to be once in once in a lifetime players and it's he is going to on him than I am. I like Zion, but he is going he is going to put on an absolute showcase throughout this tournament. Uh, Where we were talking about all these financials and numbers, wait to see what he starts tracking and just not from being the the number one overall draft pick. Can't wait to see that shoot. What he's going to get in endorsements? What he's going to mean for one of these cities? Hey, before we get out of here though, let me throw this one at you. We were talking about this the other day. Talk, we're not going to beyond government shutdowns, Russian scandals, what influence Facebook has on on anything going on in the government. You want to talk about shutting everything down for an investigation? What if somehow your LeBron James and your LA Lakers get that number one pick in the lottery? Man, that would be an absolute mess. Scandal. We. We'd be flying the horsemen out there right away. Oh my god! This conspiracy. I, this would be. This would be. This would be huge. I. You know. I. I'm interested how that would even work because they're basically the same player. 
Like they play the same position. They play the same way. They would figure it out just because of all the money to be made. Well, you say that they would figure out because of all the money to be made. But, you know, I look at the freaking Lakers and uh, they haven't figured it out with all of the money to be made. That team is a freaking dumpster fire. It, it does. It, it doesn't matter. They, they could keep the dumpster fire because they'd have so much extra money. They could just throw it into the dumpster and burn it. You know, there is one good thing about being a Lakers fan. At least they're not the New York Knicks because, my God, my, my heart goes out to Big Ray Hernandez and his beloved Knicks, even though the Knicks actually got the Lakers the other day. The Knicks swept the fucking Lakers. Are the Lakers the worst team in the NBA? Like right now, like n- not looking at records, just looking at the way the teams are playing. Are the Lakers the worst team in the NBA right now? It's hard to argue, man. Man, just awful. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. We'll be back next week, and I'm sure that my bracket will be torn up into itty-bitty little pieces and thrown all over the floor. You can catch us Friday at the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, hittingthemarks.podbean.com, Mondays in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com, and now, Huckleberry, we have our own network at hittingthemarks.podbean.com. It's not just us anymore. We got other people. We got the PW Hustle Boys over there rake, racking up all kinds of weird charges on my credit card. Something about hookers and blow and Robert Kraft. I don't know what the hell's going on. Then we got our favorite Canadians. They're up there being all polite. We got Joe Atherton getting ready to drop his new show. Robin Nelson with his show. I am a busy man trying to put all of these shows together. I don't even know how I'm doing it anymore. Huckleberry, how do the people find you across all social media platforms? Well, I'm going to say if if your NCAA March Madness picks or anything like any tournament, from New Japan, go ahead and throw your bracket in the garbage I right know, now. It's, it's just going to be trash. But if anybody wants to keep up with me and all things that are going on with with our pot network, just uh, follow me along on all social media platforms at the Real RBV. All right, we'll talk to you back here next week for HTM Sports. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya.